Good morning, ladies, and welcome to another installment of Torah with a Takeaway. We're in Parsha's Chaya Sara, the Mama Sara, one of our patri- matriarchs. And um, we, I would like to today, I decided to go ahead and speak about some episodes in the life of Sara Imenu. And I thought we could clarify what type of woman we're talking about that we have to aspire to be like. Um, I entitled this lecture, if you want to have a title, I called it Faith and Laughter. Because we're going to talk about some of the incidents, you know, Sarah laughing and everything. I don't think I ever discussed it maybe like 10 years ago. So it's time to discuss it again. In any case, let's talk about some of our questions in this week's charge. We've got four questions like always. So we're practicing for the Seder. When it talks to the first first pasuk of this week's parsha, it says, "By you, by you, be'ashana ve'esrim shanam shanim shnei chayei Sarah." Sarah Imenu, the days of her life were a hundred years and twenty years and seven years, and then it repeats itself. These are the days of the life of Sarah. It sounds, first of all, repetitious. Second of all, there's no other person that's mentioned by that. It says, you know, like it's a hundred years, and it usually says the number of years doesn't like split it up into the three sections of the three digits of her age. So Rashi says, um, each one of the reason that there's units of her, her days of her life is because uh, I had a hundred years. She was like 20 for sin. Uh, you know, at 20 is when you begin to be accountable for your sins. Thank God Hashem, to some extent, closes his eyes for the teenage years. You're not punished from heaven until the age of 20. And ma bas chaf lo chata, sharei ena bas onshin, af bas kuf shalachata, bas chaf kvazayin, bliopi. And her beauty at 20 was like the beauty of seven. So we have a question on the beauty part, because usually a 20-year-old is much more glamorous and gorgeous than a 7-year-old. You know, a 7-year-old has lost a few teeth, <laughs> and they're kind of knee-knocked and, and wearing their, their their knee socks are falling down all the time. They're cute. They're adorable. But usually 20-year-olds are, that's the age, right? Ask any young man in Lakewood. They're all 20 years old is the age that we're all talking about. So why are we comparing her with beauty? Like, what's the importance there? And the whole thing was going 100, like 20. It's like, what's the point? There, there must be a deeper explanation. And also, isn't beauty a gift from God? You know, we're talking about what do we have to know that she was beautiful? You know, she was one of the four most beautiful women that ever lived, was Sarah Imenu. Rashi also says, Shnei Chaye Sarati. And he says, Kulan Shavid Latova. All those 127 years were all equal in goodness. Were they all equal in goodness? She was uh, a woman that was most of her life childless, and she did go through many, anything Avram went through, she went through, and Hugger was definitely uh, an issue with her. And um, and also the whole idea with, uh, we have, uh, they, they, they had a famine, she had she had a problem that um, with, with uh, taken down to Avimelech and Paro and, and, and Mitzrayim and Avimelech and Gerar, and each time she was given as a gift to them, and it was a horrendous situation. What do you mean they're all good? Then we find, and, and it was a terrifying incident with Avimelech and Paro. How could she go through such terrifying incidents when she's a chaste and pure woman being taken into their harem against her will? How can that happen? That's question number two. Number three, what I would like to get into is 
Sarah has this whole laugh when she's told by one of the three Malachim, one of the three angels, you know, those three angels were the, um, they looked, they appeared like, like the lowest people, like they didn't appear like anybody special. And they came and they told her next year, Sarah's going to have a son. She, she laughed, she laughed inside and she said, come on. At my age, I'm going to have a child. You know, I'm 90 years old. I'm going to have a child. Come on. This is impossible. Now, she she laughed, and later she's taken the task. Avraham is told by Hashem, why did your wife Sarah laugh? laugh? And Avraham confronts Sarah, and she says, I didn't laugh. And he says, no, Hashem said you laughed. Interestingly enough, if you look carefully in the verses, when Avram was told by Hashem that he would have a son, Yitzchak, Avraham laughed. And Avram was never censured. Never censured. And yet Sarah to make a whole big deal because she laughed. She's like taking the task for that. And, you know, now Avram was told by Hashem he would have a child. She was told by three. They seem to be plain, simple people. Uh, you know, that could be reason. And she only laughed internally. So why is the making a whole big deal about it? And then, guess what? The finale of all this is, what do they call the child? Yitzchak. He will laugh. Isn't that interesting? Why is it that, you know, here she denies they have a whole big deal about it, and the man he's called Yitzchak. Number four, question number four is, uh, it says that um, when Haga, you know, Sarah confronts um, Avram and she tells him that, that, that uh, Hagar is not a good influence and Ishmael is not a good influence in the house. She said, you know, first, Sarah brings Hagar into this whole picture. So Hagar was a maidservant, and she tells Avram to take her maidservant and marry her. And then it says that Hagar indeed marries, or well, the question is, she was not, she's a maidservant. She wasn't really married to Avram. And then she right away becomes pregnant. The first night she's pregnant. And then she, it's, it's, her mistress becomes lowly in her eyes. And then Sarah tells Avram, I gave you my servant, and, and, and now she's looking down on me. Hashem should, should you know, judge her. And, and Avram says, do whatever you want with her. So then, Sarai afflicted her, and she ran away, Hagar. Now, how'd she get away with that? And then finally, Hagar runs away, and Amalek catches her and tells her, go back to Sarah and be under her dominion. What happened here? How do we explain this incident? Because this is all teaching us more about Sarah's character. And there is a fifth question I forgot to ask. Uh, when we talk in this week's Parsha about Sarah passing away, this is, you know, the end of her life. How did she pass away? Rashi tells us, let's see if I can find it because I didn't prepare to look where it was. Um... Second, why does the death of Sarah follow the Akeda, the when Avram was tested with bringing his son to sacrifice his son or not? When he heard the news of the Akeda, I'm sorry, but she heard the news of the Akeda, that her son was being prepared to be slaughtered. This is the so the words of Rashi that the Sifse Chaim, Sifse Chachamim has a problem with, the Gur Aryeh and others, Kimat Shalom Nishchat, and he almost wasn't slaughtered. Parcha Nishmasa Mimano Mesa. Her soul left her and she died. 
Now, when we talk about this, she, the news of the Akeda is what brought her to death. Now, this was Avram's biggest test. Does this mean Sarah didn't pass the test of the Akeda and Avram did? In fact, we're told, the Gemara tells us that Sarah was superior to Avraham in prophecy. How could it be that, you know, she's supposed to be a big heavyweight in spiritual matters. How could it be she passes away? He almost but wasn't slaughtered. What does that mean? What is that teaching us? And, um, yeah, so, so yeah, well, why is it that she passes away from the Akedah? What can we learn from that? There's a few lessons there. Okay, those are our questions, ladies. And let's roll up our sleeves and if, if them not uh, not past the elbow, but let's roll up our sleeves and get to some answers that'll help us in hopefully life-changing lessons. Right, Florence? Okay. Now we're told uh, the Bracious Rabbit tells us in Parshas Noah, Yodea Hashem Yemei Simimim. God knows the days of the the people that are just and pure. The Nachlasam Lolam Tiyeh. And their inheritance will be forever. Just like the righteous are perfect and pure, so their days are pure. Rav Shimon Schwab, Zechrenel Bracha, tells us that a person can live a hundred years and yet serve Hashem very little in the quality, in the context of their lives. You know, especially as women, we have a challenge every minute. What are we doing most of our days? even especially working women today, they are day and night making, either making a living. And then besides making a living, they're like, you know, cooking and cleaning and all the things to make a household. And how much of our life is really spent on serving Hashem? Now, Baruch Hashem for Shabbos, you know, that we have to stop and then at least we have that. Um, but how much, how much of, when it says that Sarah's life was perfect, what we're learning from this, that she utilized every minute of her day to serve Hashem. Now, that's astounding, considering all the trials and travails that she went through. It's amazing. Rabbi Israel Tauber, Zechariah Lebracha, tells us that she, she, even though not all of her life was good, and it says, uh, when, when Rashi says that all of her days were good, they were perfect, that, you know, Rashi says, Kulam Shavim Latova, it means that she utilized all of them for the good. She took a negative situation and turned it into the good. She had all these things going on in her life, and yet everything was turned and flipped to be utilized to serve Hashem. Childlessness, use it to serve Hashem. Having a child, use it to serve Hashem. Everything was constantly being used in some way. That's what we ask from Hashem. We say in Uval Etzion, we ask Hashem, let us be, let please plant within our lives a, a feeling that there's going to be an Olam Haba, and let's let's use use our life for a spiritual, otherworldly purpose all the time. Let's not get caught up in the weeds of of the world that we live in today, with all of its stupidities that happen. And today it's very appropriate to have this as well. I, I've been finding every parsha always teaches us so much about our current situation. Anybody I know that's very into the news right now is going crazy. They're not sleeping. They are, they're, they're fit, fitful sleep. And then anytime I take a peek at what's going on in the news, I regret it immediately. I regret it immediately. Because all it is is like, you know what it is? It's like Yamsuf. That's what it is. You see the lions and tigers and bears on one side. 
You see the Absoof, and you see the Midstrom coming at the third side. And then everybody's despairing, you know. But we as Orthodox Jews have to realize, you know what, there's a God holding our hand throughout this. I personally think here in Toronto right now, for all of those of you that are tuning in from other countries where you always are lucky to have sun, especially those Israeli groups, those little great Israeli contingency we have here. Um, right now in Toronto, we're breaking records with the weather, breaking records. It's summer weather here for the last three days. I feel it's a sign for Hashem is, I know things look very bleak in other ways, but you have to look at it from, and I'm still holding your hand in here. And there are a lot of things to be frightened of. You know, there are plenty of things to be frightened of right now. But um, we have to know, remind us there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger purpose. We have to stay focused. And this is just getting, uh, it's just taking away from our Avaitis Hashem, which is supposed to be, that we're supposed to remember that here we are to, to do something with our life. We're here to make something out of our life. And no matter what she went through, she used it to serve Hashem, no matter what her test was at that present moment. The Chidushi Arim, a little bit of lumdus here, but I'll throw it in anyways. He said, if you could say all her days were good because maybe she did tshuva from love. Because if you, if you do tshuva from love, it says your sins become like mitzvahs. He says, then it wouldn't have it mentioned every single unit, a hundred, like 20, like seven. Like, in, in other words, at every goalpost, at every landmark, she was still pure. It wasn't like at the end she had to, okay, let's just fix it up at the end. Nope, she recognized from the beginning that she has to make the, she has to make this life all that she, she utilized it to develop herself. In fact, they say all those years of being barren, that those were opportunities for growth and she used them for growth. Um, I'm going to say a little bit this blip I've said almost every year for the last 10 years, but I can't, I can't control myself. It's really from Parshas Toldos, but it's such a beautiful vort, and it just, it's just something we should envision all the time. Ravulsen Shlita from the Amuna Sisrol in Brooklyn tells us that, you know, when we talk about life, it says Avram was Baba Yamim. He came with his days. It's also in this week's Parsha. It mentions that. But what's the point of that? It's to teach us that Life is not something we go through. Time is not something we pass through, like the that concept they have of time machines and things like that. In, 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 in Judaism, time is a gift. It's an entity. He says, this is a beautiful, I just love this marshal. He says, you picture every morning, a big canvas falls down into your living room, big canvas. And Hashem put some paint at the background of your canvas, like today, you know, this is going to happen today. This, you know, whatever you have, something's going to go wrong somewhere or other in your life. There's going to be some challenges. That's the canvas. Now you have to paint the, the foreground of the picture, and then it's going to go back up at the end of the day. That's, your, that's a day in Hashem's book. That's how we're supposed to, you know, how are we going to use that day? And that, that's what we come in. And, and then there's a, such a concept as Erev Shabbos. The whole week comes before you. At the end of a life, you're, all your days come before you. But that's another talk. Maybe we'll bring it up for Parshas told us again. I don't know. But I did want to throw that in now about how we have to utilize our time. And that's a big lesson we can learn from the matriarch, Sarah. Rav Shalom Shwadron, the Chronal of Racha, gives another concept. He says when it says, Kulam Shavim Latova, he says that she was besimcha her whole life. Now that's really something considering, you know, she had a lot of challenges there. 
he said before and after children, because he says, according to a sefer called the Torah Shalema, which I guess is a perush on Rashi, he says, the Torah Shalema says it was a misprint. It doesn't say kulam shavim that they're all equally good. It says kulam shavim sason v'simcha. They're all equal in her joy. That we can't even fathom that. Where that's how far we are away, ladies. But when a person is very spiritual, very spiritual in their contents of their life, we find it says, milvad konam. There's nothing good to, for tzaddikim except doing the will of their creator. That's what they wanted to do. There's a story brought down, you know, to just, you know, and that's why it says, Chayav Adam halatova. Person should strive to bless, you know, to, to thank Hashem for the bad like He does for the good, because it is all for the good. Ultimately, we don't understand it, but that's how things go. There's, um, they said that Rav Shach, he should rest in peace. Um, when he would have family gatherings, he would often talk about his suffering as a young man in Europe. He, he, he learned in various yeshivas in Europe, and he said that his shirt was torn. He always had to button his jacket to cover up his torn shirt. His shoes were missing the soles from them. Um, there was He didn't have a blanket to cover himself. He slept on a bench at night. And he said, and those were the best years of my life. That's how he looked at it. Because those were the years was just about learning and serving Hashem. And there was no, dist- well, there were those distractions. But he felt like that's what he got out of it was that he was able, um, you know, it was just a, it measured by a spiritual yardstick. How close could I get to Hashem in those days? People in the mirror that were in Shanghai, and those were hard. It was boiling hot in Shanghai. There was um, there was so much suffering that, that that they had physically, but they were so into learning, and they were so like they had the battle cry from Rav Chatzka Levenstein, and they were all learning. They all almost every Alta mirror will tell you those are the best years of their life. Those years in Shanghai, and not one person died. That's another side, but they say it was in the merit of Rav Chatzka. But uh, the whole year, she was just lifted out of Lithuania and taken to transport to Shanghai. Unbelievable. But it was a pure spiritual life. They felt they had a mission to learn on behalf of all the people that were dying in the concentration camps. You know, so they were the one yeshiva that was really surviving from Europe. And they had that battle cry. And that's what kept them going. And that's how they were joyous. There's another story. Uh, the son-in-law of uh, the Briska Rav, his name was Rav Yitzhak, I believe, Weinstein. Um, he, his mother, there's a story about her that, um, he, he, he was orphaned at a young age and he was very close to his bar mitzvah, I believe. And he, he went off, he was a very bright voice. He went off to some yeshiva and it wasn't near his home. His mother lived in Russia and he went off somewhere to Lithuania and he was learning. And, um, what would happen in yeshivas during those days is often the communists would take over yeshiva as a hideout. The boys had to sit there and be with the communists. They took it over as a hideout to fight, fight against the Bolsheviks. And this is what went on. So he was in one of these yeshivas. And lo and behold, one day, one of the boys from the yeshiva died. He was either, I think he was killed accidentally by a communist, if I'm not mistaken. It doesn't say exactly how in the story that I read. But um, I think this is brought down in the Yosef Lekach. But um, the, uh, somehow this, this a boy passed away from the yeshiva. The word got around. And his mother, they said, was beside herself. She was. She didn't hear from her son. She didn't know what happened. She was like, like you know, like she didn't know if he was the boy that got killed. She didn't know what happened. All of a sudden, one day, somebody in town saw that she was very happy, 
And they said, wow, you heard from your son? Is that why you're happy? And she says, no, I decided to change my mindset. She says, if he was a communist, I'm glad he's dead. That's all I care about. If he's a communist, I'm glad he's, he's not in, in living anymore. In other words, she just focused it on what does Hashem want from me now? If he's, you know, she forgot about my son, my life, my this, my that. What am I doing for Hashem? What does Hashem want from me now? And that's how she focused herself. And that's why she got a son that married into the Brisker dynasty. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that we, you know, like it, it, it's to change that focus. Like what does Hashem want from me now? That if we would just always tune, tune ourselves in that direction, we would be much happier people. Unfortunately, what happens is this happened to me and that happened to me and Veya Samir and whatever, et cetera. But if said we say, what does Hashem want from me now? That we can always, there's always something for us to still do in our lives that we can still fulfill. The Be'er Yosef tells us about Sarah Imenu. It says another name that was given for Sarah was Yiska, you know, uh, because Yiska Saksa means to... Um, she was able to prophesy, she, to see distantly, to see in the far, in the distance. Saksa Baruch HaKodesh. She, she had two names, Sarah, because she was like a princess, a ruler. And also, uh, there's another uh, interpretation in the Gemara Megillah. It says, HaKol Sochin Biafia. They're all talking about, see, it's either Sicha with a sin. I'm sorry, with a, a sin, right, means a discussion. Sicha with a Samech means to see. So I guess there's a, there's a lot of parallels why certain words have the same letters. So either it's because she, she was able to prophesize or everyone was talking about how beauty she was. So here's the beauty concept again. What does it matter if she's beautiful or not? So we're going to answer that question right now, especially since one talks about something spiritual, the other one talks about something physical. So even though she was one of the four best-looking women, says the Bear Yosef, other women look like monkeys compared to her, it says. The Gemara says that she must have been a real knockout. Um, that made no impression on her whatsoever. You know, there's a great rabbi that lives in Eretz Yisrael, profound thinker. His name is Rabbi Orlowick, or Noah Orlowick, Shlita. And I heard him once say on a tape many years ago that to degree somebody is beautiful, he says it's converse how good of a person they are, how developed they are as a person. Now, this is one of the things that people get in high school, for example. They say that the people most likely to succeed are always the ones that were average people. Like if you were the, the, the you know, the, the star of the class, like it's because of your looks or because of your brains or because whatever it is, you didn't get used to hard work. You didn't get used to trying to work it out with people. You always just looked, oh, look, I only got a 97 this time, you know. You go show the whole class. Or if you're the beauty star that you, you know, you just go walk around and you just depend on your beauty to get you places. But we, we look in the world differently. You know, like here Sarah was a beauty queen and she still was working hard on her character. It didn't affect her, which is really unbelievable. Oh, everyone was talking beautiful. She wasn't yet. She's all, she's busy prophesizing. She didn't let the world rule over her. That's basically what happened. Even if she, when she was 20, she was as innocent. Her beauty was like seven, meaning her innocence. It wasn't like, wow, look at the way I look right now. It was instead like seven years old, you know, like that's how she looked at herself. And a hundred was like 20. Usually they say an older person, after going through the bitterness of life, you know, you're a little bit shell-shocked. You carry a little bit of baggage with you. You're not like you were at 20 when you're like, okay, let's get into this. We're going to fight this and we're going to fight that. 
people feel like giving up. At 100, she was like 20. She didn't get, she still had that freshness and resolve to take care of her spiritual life like she did the physical life even at the age of 100. Now, I'm just trying to, I think this is still the Bear Yosef. I, was, I, I hope, I didn't write this down, but I think this is the Bear Yosef. It says that um, the advantages of being young is that a young person is very, is more like they're quick to, to do anything. They're, they're, they're a little bit sometimes impulsive to do something. But at the same time, they lack the wisdom of making decisions with a clear head, thinking things out, deciding things. Now, old age, a person can think properly, but sometimes they feel like, ah, I've seen this, I've seen this movie many times already. I know what this is. I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'll deal with it the next day. They don't have that let's get going and let's change the world kind of feeling that a young person has. So Sarah had both. Sarah had both. I told you this story once before that the son-in-law, Rabbi Brog, the son-in-law of Victor Miller, when he turned, I believe, 60, they made some kind of little party for him. And Victor Miller got up and spoke and he said, Mitfrischkeit, you should get up and refresh your life now. You have to remember, you have to act like it's, he didn't say you have to act like a 20. He just said, yeah, from now on, fresh, freshen yourself. You've got to get up. You've got to, especially in, you know, things get kind of stale when you, in the older we get. So the, um, the Gamar Baba Kama tells us there was a coin produced by Avram Avinu. On one side, there was a picture of an old couple. On the other side, there was a picture of a young boy and a young girl. Some people say it wasn't a picture. It was just words. That's one said Bachor and Basula, and one said Zakain and Zakaina. And to teach us that, you know, you have to have both attributes in your mind at all times. We have to be settled when we make a decision. But at the same time, that youthful energy, we can, we can conjure it up. It's really inside all of us. We're really still young people inside, even though maybe the body doesn't go where the soul wants to go. But there's a, there's a vibrance. We have to keep that vibrance going. And that helps us in our service of Hashem. And that's the simcha, because every minute really is a new opportunity in serving Hashem. Really, every minute is a fresh minute. There's never going to be a minute like there is now. And especially what we're seeing in the news today, not that I want to look at it, <laughs> believe me, but every second something else is occurring. Like we really feel Mashiach is at the doorstep. He's just about to knock. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's, it's right here because we find that things are, every minute something is happening. And it's, uh, now, the, uh, the uh, where am I? So anyways, uh, now, let's talk. So we so far established that she retained her purity and shlemus, how she utilized all her time. That's why it counts her days, because we have to count our days, make them full of joy, and make them count for avodas Hashem. Is my, are my minutes counting now? And how, many, how many of my minutes of my day am I using to serve Hashem? And how many minutes of my day am I using self-service? You know, and if we have to do self-service, let's think I'm now taking care of somebody who happens to be created by God. This is a story I like to remind myself all the time. Rav Shalom Shwadron, uh, I believe it was Rav Shalom Shwadron, if I'm not mistaken. He met his one of his Rebbeim, Rav Sher, uh, once met him on the street. And uh, he's holding his son's hand. And he says, Rav Sher asked him, where are you going right now? And he says, I'm taking my son, whatever, to yeshiva, whatever it is. I'm going, you know, I'm taking my son to yeshiva. So Rav Sher kept asking, where are you going? He said, taking my son to yeshiva. And he said to him, you have to understand, you have to say, I 
I'm just, I happen to have a child who's a child of Hashem. I'm taking them to yeshiva. If we have to feed ourselves, if we, we have to give ourselves medications, if we have to do anything for self-preservation, we have to tell ourselves, I'm doing a spiritual act right now. We have every moment a woman could consecrate her day and we have those opportunities. Let's make the best of them. Now, let's talk about Sarah's background. I hope you all know that Sarah was a niece of Avram. He had two brothers. One was named Nahor. That was the father of Lot. And the other brother was, um, was uh, Haran. Her, her father, Haran, Sarai's father, he was the one that saw that Avram jumped in the, uh, you know, the fiery furnace. And he said, okay, if he did it, I'll do it. Like he didn't do it initially. They say that it did serve him well. He did serve, he did serve Hashem, but only after he saw everybody else, somebody else do it. Um, so it wasn't as great as the action of Avram, but he did get reward. Look, he had a daughter like Sarah, and he still is the indirect father of the Jewish people. He get reward for that, giving up his life for Hashem. But in any case, he still did it as a follower. Now, later, she became Sarah, not Sarai. Sarai means like it says, Bitchila Nasa Sarai Umasa. In the beginning, she was, Sarai means like a princess. She was the ruler, but my princess, meaning of her own private nation. In the, in the beginning, she was the ruler of her own people and later became the ruler of the entire world. Of Nissan Alpert, the Chronel of Rachel, of Talmud Mubak of Maisha, she said, How did Sarah rule the world? Well, she lived most of her life in Kiryat Arba, Hechevron. That's where our settlers are braving their lives every day, um, living with interesting neighbors, putting it mildly. Um, she, she didn't follow, you know, the people in Kiryat Arba, the giants lived there, the, the town folk, they were there to do a Kirov mission, but they didn't, they didn't follow the people. They did, she did her own thing. We believe in Judaism. We talk about someone being a king. One of the aspects of the king, besides thinking of others, is that you rule over yourself. You want to rule over people. You should first rule over yourself. You have self-rule. Yehuda was very known for that. That's why he was, you know, the tribe that, that was the leader of the Jewish people. The, um, you know, so she, it, it, Sarah means to prevail, maintain, rest, or dwell. No matter what happened, her faith didn't falter. And there's no coincidence that Esther ruled over 127 countries in the merit of Sarah because she also wasn't influenced by her surroundings, just as Sarah wasn't influenced by her surroundings, unaffected. So that's the great thing that we can learn, that, um, you know, that not let the vicissitudes of life pull us down. We have to rise above. And that's how our matriarch Sarah lived her life. Now, <laughs> here we're going to get into something a little bit controversial controversial that I saw last week from Rabbi Victor Miller. For those of you that heard it, it's only going to be a few minutes, but for those of you who didn't hear it, it may be life-changing. So that's why I'm repeating it right now. Um, you know, there's a story last week's Parsha about Lot's wife. You know, it's something that we just gloss over and we, we don't think about sometimes that, you know, um, when the Malach and the angels came and told everybody to run out of, flee from stone, leave stone. Lot's wife, and they were commanded another thing, do not turn around to look back. Don't look back. I'm going to destroy this this country. Don't look back. And you know, that's where the Dead Sea is. And when we see all the emptiness, the desolation, that's, that's where Sodom was. And Lot's wife did not listen. She couldn't help herself. She looked back. She was destroyed immediately on the spot, zapped. She turns into a pillar of salt. 
with sulfur and all that stuff that's all, you know destroyed her. What was so bad that she looked back? So says Rabbi Avigdor Miller, as a Colonel of Rachel, he says that what was a Sodom, the idea of looking too much at evil, looking too much. This was a place that they were just celebrated the, the material world, and it was all for yourself, not to share. It was all about me. You're just you're just only dealing with this world, and you're not, you know, no spirituality at all. It's all the material ways of Sodom. If you look back, even when they're being punished, you're influenced. And here they're warned. She's warned now. Don't don't even look back because it's such a bad place. One more look is going to influence your life. It's gonna it's gonna make you. And then she doesn't merit to be alive anymore because of that. So she explained like there's a big lesson for all of us to take away from this. And this is the lesson of Sarah that. Um, that if we get too involved with the world around us, and I told you about this little machine that we happen to all own, you know, that contains the filth of the world in it, as well as the good things of the world in it. If we get too affected by it, what happens is we can we can lose we can lose our 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 purchase as a Jew. You know, he said something very intense, very Victor Miller, as usual. It says in the Gemara Sanhedrin, Hakore Svarim Chitzonim, whoever reads. Books that have uh, immoral immoral ideas in them. He doesn't have a portion of the world to come. Because where are you putting your interest, your mind, your interests, your your eyes? What are you looking at? We have to be mindful. Now, thank God we're not warned that we're going to die by looking at it, but we're dying a spiritual death when we get involved in these things because there's so much filth around us in the world today. It's, it's like beyond description in so many ways. Why do we have to lower ourselves and be counted with the rest of the world that's doing things not with our mission is supposed to rise above all this. And this is what Sara Imenu t- teaches us. And this is what we're supposed to implement. Especially women. Or Victor Miller also says, you know, another interpretation says, Nashim Datam Kalos, that a, woman, a woman's head is light. Their, their mind is light. Featherweight. <laughs> now, what does that mean? A lot of people take offense. It sounds like women are like just, you know, chicken brains, that they're all uh, scatter brains. They're not, they're not, they don't have a, they don't have a mind. It doesn't mean that. He said, different people say different things about it, but it's always interpreted in a good way. It doesn't mean that women do not have, cannot be surgeons and doctors and lawyers and all that. It means that women are, it means women are very easy to give in more than a man, which is a good thing in, in, in at times, you know, that, um, Women usually, uh, you know, if, if there's an argument, the woman has more of a strength to say, okay, forget it, forget it. You know, the guy is stubborn and he won't give in. Women are less stubborn than men. That's really what it's telling us, that they don't, like, stick with their, I, I have this thought and this is why we're doing it. And I can't, I can't give up my, I can't give up my opinion. You know, women are more easy to give in. But, uh, so sorry, Maynard, even more so, she could have given in to the whole thing that was going on in Sodom at the time. And that's why maybe the wife of Loke gave in more than Loke did because, you know, women are taken by the fashions. <laughs> Victor Miller says Paris is Sodom, you know, because the whole point of it is to, to attract like immoral attention, you know, like to be dictated by the fashion people over there in Paris. You know, we're supposed to rise above it. And this is the, the attitude of Sarah Imenu, even though women can give in. We are not supposed to be affected by these things and we're supposed to stay loyal to Hashem. Now, the um, 
Okay, so, so, so that's talking about being unaffected. Now let's talk about the question of why she was given such a test of being taken to the harem of Avimelech and to uh, Paro, a pure woman like this to be challenged in such a way. Why did she have to go through this? So the next thing I'm bringing you is from the tzaddik that just was nifted this week. She rest in peace. He'll hopefully be as chutz. Rav David Feinstein, Zechrona Lavracha, Zechrona Tzadik Lavracha, explains to us when Sarah went through her original test of um, when she was taken against her will to the two kings, the Tanchuma tells us it was a big test in faith for both Sarah and for Avram, similar to Esther. And when Mordechai was tested, you know, when Esther was taken away to the harem of Ahasuerus, Mordechai says, this must be a bigger picture. This must be for the Jewish people. Something like this does not make any sense. A lady from Meisharim has to all of a sudden go to live with uh, the most coarse man on the universe, Bill Clinton, you know. Instead, we find here that, um, that uh, what's it called, that, uh, that he, he, he went every day, Mordechai went to the palace to see what, what's going to be. There must be a message here from Hashem as to how to conduct ourselves. There was a benefit for the Jewish people. He went to see how she fared. So the, the idea here, there has to be a good purpose. What was the purpose? So he brings down in Parshas Pinchas, when they count the lineage of all the Jewish people, they have um, a hay at the beginning of every family and a yud at the end of every family that's mentioned in the counting. And Rashi says, why is there a hay at the beginning of every family that's counted and a yud? Because he says every family was so chaste in the Midbar, everyone had pure lineage except for one lady, this Shalomis Bastibri. Every single woman was, was, it was a pure line all the way from Avram Avinu. And the people stayed faithful in Mitzrayim and no lady sinned at all in Mitzrayim. How could that be? So suggests Rav David Feinstein, Zechat Tzadik Lavracha, he says that, he believes that in Mitzrayim, that the word got out, you know, he was terribly punished, Paro, after he tried to take Sarah as a wife, and, both, and Avimelech was too, they're both, and they sent them out with a lot of money, that's how Avram got wealthy, both these kings were tested, they got so scared that they both, let, you know, sent Avram out with a lot of money, and with his wife intact, and yet they were terribly punished for having to even mess with Sarah. They, he so suggests of David Feinstein that all the years for 210 years from Avram Avinu till the end of Mitzrayim, all the people there were terrified to touch a Jewish woman, except for this one woman who gave a suggestion that she, she was talking too much. But everybody else was afraid to touch a Jewish woman. So see, Sarah's suffering was not for naught. She made it that there was chaste. Her whole lineage became pure forever because she had this test this terrible affliction, this test and tribulation she went through in Mitzrayim and with Avimelech. So people were terrified to touch a Jewish woman because, in the merit of Sarah Imenu. So she did get something out of her terrible affliction, the suffering. And we have to look at that too, how it affects us. A lot of times we don't know what suffering is going to do for us. We don't know. It could be a past life we have to uh, correct ourselves for. It could be something that we're, we're being a schuss for the whole Jewish people. It could be something if, if somebody's terribly suffering or if somebody is suffering just for themselves, we don't know the good it does. It cleans up our definitely, it's a, a soap and shampoo for our actions that we've done previously, but it definitely can benefit other people as well, and we never know the benefit. Okay, now we find that, 
Okay, let's go into Hagar Yishmael. That's another episode that we have to discuss. Now, let's explain it like this. I see I'm running late, and then we have to figure this out. <laughs> um, okay, so first of all, Sarah, uh, you know, we can't, it's not, a, you know, to give your husband over to another lady is not an easy feat. She did it because she felt, you know, when you give in in your life to somebody, Hashem gives you blessings, right? It's a very big thing. Giving in is a big bracha. Hashem sees your affliction. And she felt by giving her, her servant, Avram Avinu, it's going to be a merit for her either to have children or even through her, it'll be as if these are her children. Because she was Hagar's main influence. Hagar was a princess from Egypt. And she felt it's, she wants to rather sub- subject herself to become a servant to Avram and Sarah than to stay in the palace. So she wasn't small change either, Hagar. And she did merit prophecy. But then she had other character flaws, but we're not going to be dealing with them today. But in any case, what happened was she felt that, um, first of all, we're explained by many of them before, and the fact that she, Rashim Pikas, I'm going to now, the fact that she conceived right away uh, was because Hashem did not want Avram to be with Hagar too much. It was like right away, get out a certain impurity. Uh, any impurity from Avram's past life was passed on to Ishmael. And she conceived immediately because she wasn't special enough. Sometimes when we're tried and tested, it means Hashem loves us much more, and he's testing us. I hope I'm not talking, saying too many concepts today. I feel like I'm not saying a lot of information. Um, I hope you're bearing with me, everybody over there. Um, now, the um, so she so so she felt, but then you know when she conceived, she started to become a little bit haughty. She wasn't so subjected, subjective. Thank you, thank you. She wasn't so subject. Thank you, Rivka. She wasn't so subjected to. Um, to her mistress anymore. She wasn't listening to whatever Sarah would tell her. And at this point, women, they say, have an extra understanding of people that men don't have. Like it says, A woman can look at guests and she gets a different take than a husband gets. Like you can see, that's why it's a good idea, by the way, for Shaduchim, if you're doing uh, investigations, call somebody this person has been to for, as a guest. Were they helpful? Did they clean up? Did they, did they, you know, could you see, were they appreciative or do they take everything for granted? You could sometimes find out information from people that hosted the person, you know, to see what they really are like. And a woman has an extra, extra understanding about people. Um, so just like Rivka realized who Asaph was when Yaakov didn't, Sarah realized who Hagar was. When she, she felt like this, as long as her, as Hagar feels that she's looking up to Sarah as her role model, then Hagar has a really good purpose in life, and she's supposed to do what she's supposed to do. And she didn't, she didn't begin her. She didn't say you can't be, you know, the mother of all these children. She just felt that uh, as soon as she lost her respect for Sarah, then she's not respecting the Torah, per se. She's not respecting the real spiritual values she should respect. And then she shouldn't be in the house of, you know, she, 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 so Avram should do something about this. And, you know, she shouldn't be in the house. It's not a good atmosphere if she's not looking up to the person who everyone's supposed to properly respect. Now, she didn't take it as a personal thing. She said that this is she's not having the right focus. And then the whole thing is lost. Everything that the whole purpose of all, all these endeavors is being lost. It's all to keep the focus on um, looking up to Avram and Sarah and having children that are going to personify their mission in life. The, um, 
I saw mentioned in the, let's see if I remember this. Um, We see like this, that it's very much, I heard a, a vort in the Yosef Lekach, he brings down from Zev Edelman, Zechron Lebracha. It's interesting, I'm bringing down from a lot of people from Rav Maisha's Yeshiva, little by little, it's interesting. He says, originally she was eager to serve her mistress, but after she becomes pregnant, she, she looks at, you know, she's d- d- dismissive. So it's a lesson for us, you know, it's very important in our attitude, how to serve Hashem. Are we dismissive to things around us? Are we dismissive? about doing mitzvahs, are we, you know, what, what's your attitude? So the attitude was negative. Sarah had to take care of it. But now she had to afflict her. Now, affliction is very subjective. The Ramban says, okay, I don't have time to quote the Ramban because we're running very late. She said that um, that to some degree, Ramban says that Sarah sinned and Avram sinned because he allowed it to happen. And because of this, to this day, we are afflicted by B'nai Hagar. The children of, of Hagar are afflicting us to this day because of what Sarah and Avram did. Now, what did they do wrong? According to most Mephorshim, Sarah did not sit there and say afflict her. She didn't take a, a, you know, a ruler and start beating her over the head. You know, That's not what she did. She felt that if she's not going to be in her proper place, who she really is in the family situation here and in the the, the, the the hierarchy that she has to put her in her place. So whatever that means, in whatever way it meant, she put her in her place. However, she was taken to task by Ramban that she put her too much in her place. So it's so, it's, it's so scary when we have to give somebody negative remark, you know, that you're, you have to give somebody musr. You have to tell somebody off. We have to be so careful. If one iota is too much, more than what we're supposed to really give them, what they deserve, look how it comes to haunt us. You know, she gave her a little too much, whatever of what, we don't know. But it definitely wasn't. We can't imagine, says the Mikdash Halevi, that, you know, that, that she was sitting and beating her up. It was, it's not Sarah Imenu. But in her, there was a little bit something there that wasn't for the sake of heaven. There was a little drop mixed in. And that's how holy she was, that she was taken to task. There was some personal agenda there that she didn't want to, want to do, you know. Revolba, Sechrenal Vracha mentions, there's a story about Rabbi Shmuel Cohen Gadol. You know, he was the, one of the ten, Asara Haruge Malchus, one of the ten people that died, Al-Kedosh Hashem. And it said he was speaking to his comrade, to one of the other Rabbanim who were also supposed to pass away. And they asked him, what did I do to deserve such a horrible death? And they said, did you ever have almanas come to you? Ever have widows come to you? Or have you somen come to you? And you kept them waiting. And, and then he said, you know, the servant would have said he's eating right now. The servant would have said he's doing this right now. And they said, he said, you're right. For that, I deserve to be put to death. So that's called affliction by Rabbi Shmuel Cohen Gadol, says Revolba. So you can't imagine that Sarah really afflicted Hagar. We have to believe that Sarah was a person who it meant in her level there was a little bit something personal that you didn't think of the other person's feelings. We can't even imagine it. It's so distant from, from where we are. Um, like it says, for example, um, similar to what she was doing, says Revolba, Noah cursed his son Ham, and he said, you're going to be a servant to your brothers forever. The nation of Ham is always going to have to be slaves. Why? Because it put them in their place. They were dismissive of Noah. The same thing what Sarah did. She did nothing wrong by censuring Hagar, 
but somehow there was a little bit of an agenda there, and that she's taken to task forever, uh, for for not forever until Mashiach comes, for um, for having done that. So we have to be careful when we have to do anything negative to discipline somebody or whatever it is. Teachers, <laughs> you know, they can ruin somebody's life. A principal, all these people in power, any kind of powerful position someone's in, be it a rub, be it whatever, to, to be dismissive of other people, you don't know the harm you're causing, you know, that they could be suffering from it, and we have to pay a price for it, you know, so that's a lesson to learn, another lesson to learn from Sarah. Now, let's get into laughter, and I, I still have like 10 minutes because we started late today because of the technical difficulties and people coming in late. Now, laughter. What is it, the whole thing with Sarah laughing and Avram could laugh and Sarah can't laugh and then we find later that they, that Yitzhak is called because he will laugh. Like, what's the whole thing, the focus on laughter? And Yitzhak is called Yitzhak because his parents will laugh in the future. What's so important? So Shim Shem Pinkas, the tells us the following. He says, he brings a Pusik in Kohelas that says, just like the noise made from water bubbling, so too is the laughter of a fool. It's like the bubbling water in a pot. That's the laughter of a fool, how silly it is, how nothing is it, because it evaporates. That's what he's trying to say. Now, the Vilna Gon brings down a, mush, a medrash, which says that fruit trees are asked why, apparently the wood of a fruit tree, when it's set on fire, does not crackle like the, word, like the wood of a non-fruit tree interesting the fruit tree does not make so much noise when it burns but thorns or other bark of other trees makes more of a crackling noise when it burns so the medrash answers why because they say oh no i can't read mine <laughs> because they say where is it i don't have the words in hebrew because they say our fruit shows who we are our fruit shows who we are we don't have to make noise our fruit shows who we are Whereas if somebody makes a lot of noise, that means that they don't feel like there's enough, there's enough in them. They have to talk constantly because they, you make a lot of noise. That shows there's not, no internal world that you have over there. It says, now, man, compared to uh, a regular person, uh, says, says the Vilna Gong, he doesn't, if, if he's, he's, he's better than the animals and he doesn't have to make so much noise like the animals do. But um, the, it says a wise person has wisdom and the fool, to say how much better he is than the animals, he has laughter. It says an animal cannot laugh, but a fool can. What's the, what's the idea here? It says, really, there's two ways man is greater than an animals. animals. One is wisdom. Animals don't have wisdom. They just see what's in front of them. They don't know the difference between an expensive cake bought at a bakery and grass or oats you know they don't see any difference they don't see they see man as a two-legged animal they don't see difference they can't distinguish between people like they just all they know is their instincts the things that they know that's it another difference between man and animal is that animals don't laugh now reshemshin pika says what does this mean they don't have an aha moment they don't they don't realize they don't discern they don't differentiate the idea is like this it says man was given wisdom. Asher yatsar es adam b'chachma. One explanation is man was given wisdom, unlike animals. And man was given the opportunity to discover the truth. 
Animals don't have that opportunity. They just see the trough. That's all that counts. That's all there is. A human being has an opportunity to see beyond the trough. Now, human beings can have the opportunity to see truth. What's truth? The ultimate, ultimate truth is to realize ain od milvado. There's nothing else. If a person really wants to get to the source, how did this come from? It came from the store. The store got it from the farm. The farm got it from the, where is the ultimate, ultimate? Like how can a seed produce a tree? How can a seed produce an orange tree? With There's no orange in the seed. There's no green in the, I mean, it turns green later, but it, it, it originally is brown. It's nothing, there's nothing to it. And the taste and everything, it's not in the, the you eat an orange uh, seed, you're not tasting anything from the tree at all. The wisdom, the divine wisdom, the greatness of Hashem that we have and everything that we own is unbelievable. And the person that come to that truth, person that come to that truth and the purpose, the ultimate of Rashis Chachma Yeras Hashem, the ultimate of truth is to realize everything comes from the divine. That's what we're supposed to use truth for. Now, some people don't get quite to the end of their wisdom. They get, they think it's the doctor, the lawyer, the accountant. But when we say Hashem doesn't have a body, that means we're saying what are the 13 principles of faith is that Hashem is beyond everything. It's, it's the ultimate of wisdom. It's, it's beyond the finite world. It's beyond everything we have. He made the reality. Every time a person just, what, what is laughter? Laughter means you discovered something that's unbelievable. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, like for little kids, for example, they see a man wearing a beautiful suit and then he falls into mud. Some people laugh at something like that. You know, the guy looks so perfect. I mean, people are, they learn to suppress that laughter and they're older. You don't want to, you know, insult anybody and you feel bad. You have other feelings going on. But people laugh when something doesn't make any sense. Like you're not expecting the ending. You're not expecting what's supposed to happen. That causes you to laugh. That's why it says, at the end of days, we were not going to believe that at the, at the happiness, the joy that we're going to see at the end. But, but that's unique to human being, to see that there's something different. There's something unique. There's something unbelievable. That's why we can laugh. Yitzchak was all about renewal. He, he renewed himself. He wasn't like Avram. He had told, took a different path. It's impossible by, by natural means that Yitzchak should be living in this world. It was impossible. He shouldn't be here. So that's the idea of Yitzchak. He should be laughing. So when Avram heard from Hashem that he was going to have a child, he laughed too. There's nothing wrong. It means like, I can't believe it. It's something new. But it wasn't, that, that it was not laughing. It's that in Sarah's heart, it was like, it, there was too much. It was like there was a lack of faith, a slight lack of faith. And she didn't even laugh out loud. She just said, come on, me at 90 years old, I'm going to have a child. I mean, most of us would more than laugh, you know, <laughs> like we'd really laugh, you know what I mean? It's like she didn't even laugh outside. It was just, She felt it was too much of a chiddush, too much of something new, newness. Like she couldn't believe it. Also, we have to understand, Avraham was told by Hashem. It said other Mephorshim say maybe Sarah didn't even see the Malachim. She, either they weren't apparent to her, she couldn't even see them, or she... Um, they, they look like human beings. They look like low, lowly human beings, if anything. So when a lowly human being tells you, lady, you're 90 years old, they're going to be, you know, you're going to have a baby next year. Of course, it's more of a reason to laugh than if Hashem tells you you're going to have a baby next year. You know what I mean? So it's, it's so Laura had a reason to laugh, but there was something slightly lacking that only Avram and Sarah know about that I can't even fathom because we're so much below their level. So, um, you know, so that's what she was taken to task on. And Yitzhak stands for two words. Uh, Kate's high. It's the end of life. 
that we're that you know that's why he's laughing about what the hap- end of end of this world will be either Olam Haba or time on the Shtiach. It'll be some time of all be laughing and smiling, and animals can't smile either. And all of that is to show that there's something new, something I was extricated from something, you know. And we should try to renew ourselves in our life to something that we can learn from Sarah, even in this thing that was slightly wrong. And that that newness is there's something that keeps us going and keeps us joyous at all times. Like Ramban, the Ramban says, uh, Nissan Alpha brings down, she should have said, a main Kenya Hiratzon. And they wished her, even though it seems unlikely that a Malach is going to give her a bracha, she should have said, a main, even though it's from an unlikely source. I mean, she maybe didn't see them or know them, but she felt she was a little bit skeptical. That's what she did wrong, you know? And, and also, you know, she doubted the messenger. That was what it is. But we should never doubt, even if it's a messenger, the simplest person tells us something. Who says it can't happen? Who says it can't happen, even though the messenger brings it, you know, the wrong messenger brings it? Okay, and the last thing I want to bring to, okay, so we so far have answered the questions, through, uh, four out of five of our questions. We've talked about um, the 127 years to use them perfectly. We talked about the idea why she had to be subject, subjected to going down to Mitzrayim and going to Avimelech in order that through that suffering, we should, there should be pure genia, a pure um, dynasty for Avram and Sarah, the pure lineage because of suffering. Sometimes we can bring great things. Also, we talked about um, sending out Hagar. She really, there wasn't anything that bad what she did, but the point is, She's so careful when we give somebody some any kind of negative information. Careful, careful. We shouldn't get you know, taken to task for that. That uh, we should be as sensitive would be that someone would be giving us that negative information. And last but not least is the question of the Akeda. How could Sarah have passed away from hearing the news of the Akeda when it was Avram's test and he did just fine? Not that it wasn't. Not that it was easy. So I heard several different explanations that I wanted to put in here. One of them is, um, my son just told me today from Rav Turchin's Shlita and Eretz Yisrael, who said, you can imagine a mother's love for her child, how big the test the Akeda was. The mother just hears about it, and she's passing away. And meanwhile, Avram had to go through that. So that was quite a big test for Avram. Um, but there's more. Um, a lot of the Mephorshim bring down, I saw this, I think, in the, well, there's Rav Nassano, Kassanet brings this down. And I also saw this in the Mikdash Halevi. They both say the following. They say that the fact, Sarah was not upset at the fact that there was an Akedas Yitzhak. She heard that he almost wasn't slaughtered. She was upset by the fact that maybe my son at the end was not accepted as a sacrifice by Hashem. That's what brought her death. That's amazing. That's incredible that she wanted so much that her son should be the one to serve Hashem in, in this way, and he was, maybe, maybe Hashem didn't want him. She didn't hear the whole story, the whole explanation yet. She's heard he was almost killed, and he wasn't. That's the exact words of Rashi. That's what he's trying to say. And he wasn't killed. She said, she's beside herself. That, 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 was, that did her in, so to speak. Now, how could it do her in if it didn't do Avram in? So the answer to that is, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, the final of Racha, says the following. He says that, we should know something. It's a very big comfort to some of us, and it's also an interesting way of looking at life. We never know when we're being tested. Avram Avinu, when he was given a test, Hashem gives us 
the opportunity to pass the test. He gives us both sides. He gives us the good and the evil equally that we're able to pass this test with flying colors. When it was Sarah's, when it was um, Avram's turn to do the Akedah, three days he was told to travel. And during the traveling, he was told, take your son. Which son? I have two sons. Your only son. The son you love. He's prepared, preparing him for the test. Sarah says Rav Chaim Shmulevitz was never prepared. She, that's how she was meant to pass away from this world. It was not her test. Even Avram needs preparation for a test. We never know at any given moment, like, you know, we can't judge another person. Let's see people in the Holocaust that were challenged so much and some people didn't come out being so religious or whatever happened. We can't judge another person. We don't know if it was their test. Some people go crazy from certain horrible things they went through in their life. We don't know, was this their test or was this the way they had to go crazy? We n- we'll never know that. But if somebody's prepared in advance, um, so we can't judge another person, but for ourselves, we never know if this is a test. We have to be prepared at any given moment that this may be, that this probably is my test. We don't know what it is. So that is in some, all the things with Sarah Imenu, her faith, despite all, that she wasn't influenced by anything, that she maximized her time, she retained her purity no matter what. She was unaffected by her situation. She even brought herself to joy, to simcha, and that she was so careful, you know, to, she was willing to put herself down to have Hagar in the house in order that Avram should have a child. And that, you know, and, and her suffering, all her suffering brought good. And then if we do bad, you don't know what it brings to the world. And then Sarah Imenu personified her whole life was not worth living if her son would not be a sacri- would not be considered a kosher korban Hashem. Thank you all for listening. I wish you an amazing week. Thank you, Rivka, for the amazing administrative work you do. You are amazing, amazing, amazing. I thank you for listening. Bring your friends, bring your enemies, and bring yourself next time. Same time, same place, same amazing Parsha. Thank you for listening. Have yourself an amazing week.